0: You know, we started a series that was a little bit different than most of the series that I do. And, and I told you I was kind of like Joe, I like to know the behind the scenes, the backstory, the things that help make everything happen. And since most of us know the Christmas story very well, let's look at some things that brought us up to the Christmas story and what it really what it really means. So we're going to continue with this series this morning. And uh, the title of this message is just B.C., B.C. So we'll go ahead and start. Having large families, it should be frowned upon as an environmental misdemeanor in the same way as frequent long-haul flights, driving big cars, and failing to reuse plastic bags, says a report by the a Green Think Tank. You can imagine. You've heard that. John Gillibrand. He um, is co-chairman and emeritus professor of family planning at the University College London said this. He said, the effect on the planet of having one child less is an order of magnitude greater than all these other things we might do, such as switching off lights. The greatest thing anyone could do to help the future of the planet would be to have one less child. Can you imagine thinking like that? I'm sure glad that Joseph and Mary didn't feel that way. Aren't you? Over the last two weeks, we've repeatedly shown that, you know, when when God wants to save um, the world, it involves a birth announcement. And when he wanted to, for an example, when he wanted to bless the world through Abraham, he sent a child named Isaac. And when he wanted to deliver Israel, he sent Moses. And when he wanted to save them from the Philistines, he sent a man named Samson, and that's one of the ones we talked about. And when he needed a prophet, he sent Samuel. And when a forerunner was called for, he sent John the Baptist. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his own son, born of a woman. But this child um, is the king, the one to whom all the others have pointed to. And that's what's important. I'd like to share this scripture with you. In Jude, the first chapter and verse 25 says this To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. Now, folks, there's more theological truths in that than we could preach in one Sunday, right there. But as you know, our whole calendar system. Um, is arranged around this child who was born. The concept of BC, you know, BC, of course, stands for before Christ. AD comes from the Latin, which means in the year of our Lord. You know, and of course, as you might imagine, there are a few people who try to replace BC with BCE, which stands for um, before the common era. And the reason they want to, or era, the reason they want to do that is, is they want to avoid any reference whatsoever of Jesus Christ. We know those those kind of people in the world, and we just we pity them. But BC and AD are the global standard and recognized by most countries and even the UN. Um, Before this system of dating, there were there was three different kinds of dating systems and they they were used. They were consular dating, which dated from the, the reigns of Roman emperors, and then there was the regnal dating, which similarly dated according to the current monarch or king at the time, and before that was creation dating, which dated from the beginning of the world. Well, today, dating from the birth of Christ is the most commonly accepted system of dating in the world. And as you would guess, there are some that would try to do away with that if they, if they could. You know, some people, they speak of removing Christ from Christ, uh, Christmas, and some of them get it done. There's no doubt about it. But what about removing Christ from the calendar? You ever think about that? B.C. and A.D.? Today, as we come to kind of the crescendo or the, the climax of this short series, Would you consider B.C. in just a little different way? Now, I like, when I'm thinking about stuff, I like to run down the little rabbit trails that come up. I'm kind of like Joe on this. I want to know what it says. I want to know about this and that and the other and put it all together in one big picture. So if you'll allow me this morning, I want to play around with this B.C. thing just for a few minutes. You know, some different ways that Jesus relates to B.C. To see the whole picture here, the whole Jesus story. Well, B.C., let's consider before creation. Let's consider that. You see, Jesus, he didn't start to exist in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. He was before creation. Look at John, the eighth chapter, starting with verses 56, and we'll go through fifty-eight or 59. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have, have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And then in John, the first chapter, and the first three verses, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things come into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And then in the 14th verse, same chapter, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as if the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Then in John's gospel in the 17th chapter, and verse 5, it says, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And then in verse 24, that same chapter, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. Then in Colossians, the first chapter and verse 17, he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. So we see here that this story um, does not begin in Bethlehem. It has no beginning. He is the beginning. B.C., before creation. Jesus is the beginning here. Let's consider another one. Let's consider before the cradle. Before the cradle, Jesus didn't start to exist in Bethlehem 2000 years ago. He was before the cradle as well. John, the first chapter, verse 15, John testified about him and he cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Now that causes you to ask the question, now what is all this about? There's something here that don't make sense. John was born before Jesus, yet it says he existed before me. You remember the pre-birth maternal meeting between Mary and, and Elizabeth? You remember that kind of story? Well, let's go to Luke, the first chapter, starting with verse 39, and let's refresh our memory here. Now, at this time, Mary rose, arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy." Um, You know how in your Bible, underneath the chapter heading, maybe down through the chapter, you'll have headings over different verses and it kind of tells you what's in that little section of verse in the scripture. It seems like if I were writing the heading over this one, it might be something like great jumping uh, John the Baptist here um, because of what happened. But before the cradle, and certainly long before the manger scene, he left the splendor of heaven. You know, the uh, the ball club, the Yankees announcer, he once uh, suggested to, uh, to the manager, Joe Torres, um, that the team could be managed a whole lot better from high above the field at the level of the broadcasting booth. And Torres, he thought about that for a little while, and he finally says, no, he says, upstairs, you can't look in their eyes. And uh, David Martin says this, God came down to the field to look in our eyes. He came to live among us. He could see us. Leif Anderson, he tells of his trip to the Philippines several years ago, and he says this. He said, I was visiting Manila in the, Philistines, uh, the Philippines and was taken of all places to the Manila garbage dump and saw something I'd never seen anywhere else. On the dump in Manila, there are tens of thousands of people who make their homes, Shacks are constructed out of things other, that other people have thrown away. And their children are sent out early every morning to scavenge for food for the other, um, from the other people's garbage so that they can have family meals. People have been born and grown up there on the garbage dump. They've had their families, their children, their shacks, their garbage to eat, finished out their lives and died there without ever going to any place else even the city of Manila. And it's an astonishing thing. He said, what caught my attention as much, if not more, than um, this is that there are Americans who also live on the garbage dump. And he goes on to say that there are American missionaries, Christians who have chosen to leave this country and go there to communicate the love of Jesus Christ to people who otherwise would not be able to hear it or receive it. And he said, that's amazing to me that people would leave what we have to go live on a garbage dump. Isn't that just what Jesus did? He left heaven to come live with us. Um, Matthew, the fourth chapter, verse 16, says this, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light and those were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. And then in verse 78 and 79 of the first chapter of Luke, it says, because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, there is a sense in which all of us can speak of uh, before we were born. I know the psalmist, he says that you knew me in my mother's womb. But let me tell you something. The pre existence of Jesus Christ is much, much more than that. B.C., let's look at, consider something else. Before the cross. Now, this is where we probably have the most information about Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't save you in swaddling clothes in a manger 2,000 years ago, it didn't happen then. He saved you on a harsh, rugged cross 33 years after that. You see, it had to happen. It was in God's plan from the very beginning. Jesus was born to die. You know, it's a simple chorus. We sing it a lot on Sunday night, and I love it, and it is just packed with so much truth. It says, he came from heaven to earth to show the way, from the earth to the cross my debt to pay, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. How powerful is that course? Man, Titus, the third chapter in verses four and five, it says, but when the kindness of our God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. How special is that? And then let's look at another one, before the church. First Corinthians, the second chapter, verse seven. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Revelation, the 12th chapter, verses 4 and 5. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all (laughs) nations with a rod of iron. And her child was called up to God and to his throne. Folks, little news flash here to a lot of folks out in the, in the world, the church did not invent Jesus, but Jesus built the church. Amen. You know, imagine, if you will, just imagine a world without Jesus. Can you can you do that? Sometimes we think that our world is without Jesus in certain places, but imagine a world without Jesus. Have you ever watched the uh, the classic Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Anybody ever watch that? I see some of them shaking your head. By the way, did you know that that famous movie, It was a box office flop. And at its original release, it didn't even recover more than half of its initial $6 million um, production cost. And back then, $6 million, that was a lot of money. Um, It's a story of a man named George Bailey, you probably remember that, played by um, Jimmy Stewart, who miraculously finds out what life would look like and what this world would be like had he never been born. And with that in mind, the perspective changes You know, his, his attitude completely. That's a great story, but imagine what it would be like if, or what the world would look like had Christ never been born. I don't know that we can imagine anything that bad. Jim Henry, he writes this. Several years ago, a group of historians met and they asked a number of intriguing questions. And here's just a few of them. He says, what if the Moors had won in the battle, the great uh, historic battle in Spain? And what if the Dutch had kept New Amsterdam? And what if Louis XVI had been a strong, firm king? What if Lee had a won at Gettysburg? What if Booth had a missed Lincoln? What if Napoleon had escaped to America? You know, what would history be like if these events never happened? So they wrote a book after their time together, after their discussion, and it it was entitled If History Rewritten. But this is the most profound what if in history. What if Jesus had never been born? What if Jesus had never been born? It's been some time ago that Newsweek magazine, they conducted a poll asking some questions about Christ and his birth and here are the results of when this was taken. 67% believe that the entire story of Christmas is historically accurate. 24% believe the story of Christmas is a theological invention. And if Jesus had never been born, people believed that there would be 63% less charity, 61% less kindness, 59% less personal happiness, 47% 47% more war and 38% less religious divisions. In other words, no Jesus, no freedom. No Jesus, no wisdom. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no salvation. No Jesus, no light. No Jesus, no hope. No Jesus, no unity. No Jesus, no righteousness. No Jesus know nothing. When an eight-year-old's parents informed him that they would be hearing the Christmas story again, he responded, oh, I know that story. It's the same every year. And yes, it is, and thank God it is. You know, this story is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what makes this so special move along before the change or conversion or confession in my life you know in first peter first chapter verses 20 and 21 for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in god who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in god when you're reading your Bible, have you ever noticed occasionally um, you'll be reading and there'll be one certain word, it just kind of jumps out at you and it just kind of plagues you. And then the more you read, that word pops up again and it's just, just kind of haunting you there. Well, what about the word formerly? You know, something you were before. Um, John, speak, uh, John 9 speaks of a man who was formerly um, blind and Acts the 8th chapter It speaks of Simon who formerly practiced magic arts. And Paul spoke of Onesimus, the slave who was um, formerly useless. And he spoke of himself as one who was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. And he told the Ephesians that you were formerly in darkness. And he told the Colossians you were formerly alienated and hostile and, and evil. What difference... What a difference before Christ and after Christ. Even look at your own life. What a difference before Christ and after Christ. What a difference between was and is and am. All these things make a big difference. In Ephesians, the second chapter, and verses one through 13, it says, and you were dead in your trespass and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, of the spirit that is now working in the son's disobedience. Among them, we too all all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surprising riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk with him. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, in the flesh, were also called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluding, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, every one of us, We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but a child was born and saved the planet or at least paid the price to save the planet. You know, some may reject him, but let me tell you this, how great it is. There is no sin that God won't forgive except the one you won't repent of. Make sense? There's no sin that God won't forgive except the one that you won't repent of. There's a little town in Connecticut called Vernon, Connecticut, and in order to be fair and politically correct, and you guys know what I think about political correctness, but to be fair and politically correct, the town allowed the local atheist organization to put up a display alongside the seasonal nativity scenes. And their display, which faces Main Street, it shows a pre-attack image of the Twin Towers, with the sun shining down between them and the message, imagine no religion. Now, their intent was this, to insinuate that all that is evil and all that is bad in our world is a result of religion. Well, the mayor of the town, he responded by instructing the park crew to erect a large Christmas tree 10 feet away from the display. And then when the complaints started rolling in um, that it obstructed the view of the atheist display, the mayor responded, oh really, that's unfortunate. <laughs> you see, according to them, the world would be better off if Jesus had never been born. And there was a similar situation, I think it's kind of comical, if it, wasn't, it would be comical if it wasn't so sad. Similar situation in Colorado City Where a special task force has recommended banning red and green lights at Christmas because they are too religious in nature. Now, can you imagine following that logic to its final conclusion? You know, no red lights or no green lights? Seems to me like, in regard to traffic, that would lead to chaos and catastrophe, which is exactly where life without Christ leads. Chaos and catastrophe. You know, imagine a world without the influence of Jesus. You know, well, this morning we've talked about BC. We've talked about before Christ. We talked about before creation. We talked about before the cradle, before the cross, and before the church. But let's get real personal right now. Let's talk about before conversion, your conversion here. Before Jesus came into your life, You know, the old songwriter captured it very well. Matter of fact, it's on hymn number 29 in your hymnal's there. Since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy o'er my soul, like the sea billows roll, since Jesus came into my heart. You know, your life and my life, it was dark, it was dismal, and it was death until Jesus came into our heart. And the way Jesus came into our heart is when we obeyed the word and we become part of his family by being born again. We've seen a perfect example of that last week. What a blessing that was. You see, the whole calendar system by which our world operates is centered around the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Before Christ, A.D., in the year of our Lord. And if you're not a Christian, the opportunity is offered to you. On this Christmas Sunday, you know, and this day, it can be the day, it can be the reference point. It can be the hinge on what the rest of your life hinges on. If you're not a Christian this morning, let me tell you, God sent his son to be born so that he could die to pay your price and my price. Folks, that's kind of what Christmas is all about. But see, the story of Jesus starts back at the beginning of time. This is just part of that story. But this is the part of the story that we celebrate this year, this time of the year. Jesus was born to die. God had that already preplanned when he created this world. He knew that we couldn't make it on our own. And he knew that we couldn't pay the penalty. So he sent a perfect lamb. To die for your sins and for mine. Folks, the birth of Christ kind of starts it off. You know, life in Christ can begin right now. He sent his son so that you can have life, so that we can live with him eternally. Jude, the first chapter, verse 25. I started with this verse. I want to end with this verse. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever, amen. See, we've got B.C., we've got A.D., and T.E. throughout eternity. Folks, there is no greater gift that God could give us than to free us from our sins. And there is no greater gift that you can receive this day Than to accept Jesus as your Savior so that you can live with Him eternally. Folks, the two best gifts in the world: one that Jesus gave to you, but you have to receive it. You have to receive it. You see, God don't make you go to hell. He don't make you go to heaven. It's your choice. You can choose which one you want to go, you can choose your destination. If you want to go to heaven, you've got to do it God's way. If you want to burn in hell the rest of your life, just do nothing. Have a merry old time while you're here, because it's going to end when you die. And eternity is longer than we can comprehend. Our finite minds cannot fathom how long eternity is. It's just forever. Our time on earth is short eternity. We can't even measure how long that is, but that choice is yours. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful that you sent Jesus to be born of a woman here on this earth, to live among us, to look us in the eyes, to tell his story, and then to show us how much he loved us. We're just so grateful for that. Father, we can't comprehend the depth that love. But until we can do better, we want to say thank you, Father, because that is the best gift that was ever given to mankind. Father, we pray that you would help us accept it, and those that have accepted it, we pray that we would live like we've accepted it. We would live like we're a child of the King. In Jesus' name,